Welcome back to another episode of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrate.com. I'm Pete Sampson, joined again by Tim Priester, and as usual, Tim O'Malley. Priester's back from Buffalo NCAA Tournament. Notre Dame beats Princeton, loses to West Virginia in the second round, so let's start with that. You know, it, I think it's, if you said at the beginning of the season, Notre Dame would make the round of 32, be a five seed, I think we all would have taken it. Mike Bray probably would have taken it as well, but... I, you come away thinking that game is like Notre Dame didn't. It didn't look like Notre Dame maxed out uh, in a way that they maybe had the last two years. They did not, and I looked at it in preseason from the standpoint that if you get to the Sweet Sixteen, it's a successful season. Getting to that second weekend, I know it's like a push. Uh, I, it's a push. I mean, yeah, maybe Bray would have said, you know, round of thirty-two, I'll take it because you know how he is about yes. ninety-nine <laughs> records yeah. and stuff like that. But to me, getting to the second weekend, and I thought they had an opportunity against West Virginia because. West Virginia is a good team. I don't think it's a great team. They were way better than Notre Dame. I'm not taking anything away from from them at all. And Bob Huggins had them ready to play. And they totally deserved to win. But I still thought it was an opportunity for Notre Dame. And they didn't play, you know, they didn't play particularly well the whole weekend and then didn't shoot it well against West Virginia. And lo and behold, West Virginia shoots it way better than you would anticipate, both from three point and the free throw line. So I mean, kind of a missed opportunity. You would have gone to San Jose to play Gonzaga, and I think it would have ended there, um, if you know, as well. So, um, but you would have been in California. But I would have been in San Jose, <laughs> where it was seventy degrees last week, and and uh, you know, look, uh, tied for second during regular season, finished runner-up in the ACC uh, championship game, fifth seed. I, I thought they deserved a four going into it, but then they played down um, to a lower level. So. I, I, for me, one more win would have made it a really uh, a, a really successful season. But that's three in a row. Notre Dame's formidable, and I think they've got a lot coming back. If you check our website for our futures market, Indy Hoops 2017-18, I looked ahead to next year at the personnel just to evaluate how uh, Mike Bray might choose to use that, that talent. And he does have a lot of talent coming back. I agree. It was a solid year, but one game short. Um, I saw a lot of tweets that say Notre Dame overachieved again. They didn't, but that's the best thing about the program is they didn't overachieve. Uh, you you expect them to be playing this weekend. That's the best thing about the new program that Bray has kind of rebounded from where you assume they're going to lose the first game of the NCAA tournament, no matter who they play, to I'm really surprised they're not playing right. next week. That's a good thing. Um, and, you know, he was kind of making his living going against teams like Gonzaga of late, too, where they go out there and play freely. They did not play freely. They were scared of West Virginia's press at the beginning of the game. Only one guy wanted the ball, and they, West Virginia wouldn't let him get I it. Mean, I, I mentioned on a message board it's, about Beecham in the pregame. I'm watching them, Princeton, and, you know, they play both national anthems because they're right on the Canadian border, and, and so that so Beecham had to go stand through two national anthems, and he's <laughs> he's cringing, he's grimacing. Like the bus he's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How do you overcome that? He's, <laughs> he's grimacing, he's wiping his hands off, he's wringing his hands, he's got his hands on his hips, he was scared to death. And that's just, I mean, that's just his makeup, you know, and that's just who he is. That's, I'm sure that's how he's always been entering competition and probably the way he will always be if he continues to play, you know, outside the United States next year. But you knew watching him that it was going to be a rough night. When he goes one for nine, it's it's just very difficult for them to win. And when I said scared, I meant of the press. I didn't mean of, of playing. No, and no, what, no, no. I mean, no, Colson obviously wanted the ball they too, were. but he can't help you against the press. Gibbs they was, were petrified of Gibbs the press. Gibbs was... Gibbs, really is not a, a point guard right now. I mean, he looked like he had mitts on dribbling the basketball. It was 
It was not good, and it wasn't a good game for Fluger either to, to, yeah. to be in. It was, a, it was a strange flip of the narrative, because I think going into the game, we're like, well, Notre Dame has a bunch of ball handlers. Like, they'll be able to handle the press. And then you watch it, and you're like, wait a minute, Notre Dame doesn't have any ball handlers. So that that was a, a little alarming and surprising to yeah. me, because I thought that Gibbs and Fluger would be better than they, tried, they were. They tried to dribble against the press instead of moving the ball past against yeah. the press. It's just rule number one. If it, Matt Farrell doesn't have it, pass it. It was, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a strange... Sight. I mean, yeah. so I think in the end, Notre Dame, they didn't overachieve this year, certainly. They didn't underachieve. They just achieved. Uh, and I know it's not really year. like a, yeah. a really great analysis, but like they were just good. Well, I think um, Matt Farrell's the guy that really emerged. I don't know if oh, he would probably take offense to overachievement just the way he would with most improved. But his emergence to the level that he played at allowed them... You to know, think of to, Sweet Sixteen, yeah, absolutely. Gonzaga and absolutely. Stuff like that. I mean, yeah. you knew Colson would be Colson, and you knew he was better than I thought. Yeah, he was, I love Colson, but he, he was, was better way than I better than I thought it was yeah. going to be. He's well, first, I thought he would. He's nearly first team All American. No, well, yeah, I mean, that's true. That's, I, yeah, that's really that's good. true. I didn't yeah. think he'd be that. I did think that he would average a double double. Yes, yeah. You know, he was but, really. He but was the numbers don't do justice to the way that he played. I agree. Yeah. So I mean, moving forward, they're out. But it's like. There are there have been so many losses in the tournament where I think that the the post mortem or the autopsy on the season is like a complete a complete reevaluation of Mike Bray and what is the program doing how they operate and this this was not one of those I mean it, it's just a, a keep doing what you're doing I, yeah. I don't think they need to change a whole lot moving forward other than have some more functional big men out on the floor who can. Fit into what your flow that you can't, you just don't have to play five around one because, or you know, five out because you don't have anything else in the post and a guy just can't fit in. Like right now, Martin Gebbin and uh, Austin Torres, I don't, I don't see how they fit into like what they want to do moving forward. Um, and Tim, I mean, you wrote about this. I think John Mooney is really one of the most interesting guys on the yeah, team. I think he does fit into forward. what they're yeah. looking for there. No, mm-hmm. definitely. And then you get DJ Harvey coming in as uh, you know, probably your, your VJ Beecham replacement. Well, and, and also, Tim, excuse me for a second, but uh, you know, Matt Ryan is is a really key guy here now, and, and I wrote about it yesterday. I mean, he, he's, he's not a happy camper. I mean, he's not happy with the way his sophomore season transpired. Uh, Bray went stuck with Beecham. Uh, even though Beecham was one for twelve from three point during the two NCAA tournament games, and and Ryan was frustrated, he's a key guy because he is a. I mean, that's a legitimate forty percent shooter, six foot eight, uh, guy that gives you size, guy that can shoot over any zone, and that's where I also think that Nikola Jogo is interesting too because he's six seven and can shoot over zones and is athletic. So, um, you know, I think it's an interesting team moving forward. I think they've got a lot of quality parts, but. To get back to your point, Pete, they they need an answer at the big man spot, and I, and I know Colson plays the big man, but the second big man spot, and and it really needs to be John Mooney because I think Martin Gevin's going to have some of the same problems that VJ Beecham has always had, and that is nerves and dealing with game after game after game. On Ryan, <clears throat> uh, the other losses by Notre Dame in tournament play over the last few years, there's nothing to nitpick. Like People can say the Kentucky game, well, they should have doubled Carl Anthony Towns, then there's 10 NBA players running around getting tip dunks on you. So there's nothing to nitpick other than I understand the loyalty because loyalty to VJ Beecham and Steve Vastoria and stuff during specifically Beecham during shooting slumps has always paid off for Bray. The loyalty over the course of a season pays off. Season on the line, Matt Ryan should have been in the game. I agree. You have to have him in the game. He he hit the most competitive three-point shot 
of the NCAA tournament for Notre Dame, where there is a guy closing out on him on a terrible low pass. He catches it up, fires up a three, and drills it. That is a guy engaged in, ready to play. I think the best thing he did against Princeton was he scored six points without a three-point shot. He was yeah. playing better at the end than he had ever come close to playing. It doesn't matter that he gets seven threes against some terrible team in December because Notre Dame always has guys mm-hmm. that do, does that. This was, he was ready to go. He's not a good defender, but he was trying. Uh, now, V.J. Beecham did help break the press. We should point yeah. that out. He brought the ball up three times in a row, one-on-one, because he had the easiest matchup. Matt Ryan could not have done that. But Notre Dame was shooting itself out of the tournament. Yeah, they had Matt Ryan. I don't blame him for this particular case being upset. You made note of it, seeing him on the bench. Yeah. Now, a whole season of pouting is different than being upset yeah, right now. Yeah, and there, there was a lot of that. But the fact of the matter is, I, I think I don't, Ryan is a bright lights guy to me. I don't think that they're, I don't think nerves are involved. Well, with, I don't think with, they were either. That ball was going up. <laughs> yeah, no, right. No doubt. But he needs to learn how to play Notre Dame basketball. He needs to take advantage of being 6'8", 230 in rebounding. Uh, he needs to play better defense. Although I would agree, I thought there were moments. He's trying, you know? yeah, I yeah. thought there were moments where he was playing. I thought there were moments against Princeton where he played some pretty good D, and then he never played in the in the second half, that which was is weird because they needed him then too. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's the one time where you kind of look and say, you know what, you got a weapon. He's ready to go. BJ Beecham's not going to sulk if he comes out of the game. If right. you have to put him back in, he'll be fine. And I think that that's probably the one nitpick over this whole. I agree, three-year and run that was certainly the feeling. On press row yeah. and in that in, in that arena that day, that man Ryan, don't take Ryan out. Leave him in here a little bit longer. So I mean, you're you've covered the team as close center. Is Matt Ryan back next year? I I think that Matt Ryan and Mike Bray and the Ryan family are going to have a, a you know a real serious discussion. If you would have asked me based upon the look that he had on the bench. Uh, you know, as he kept he kept playing in spurts there against West Virginia, and he was sitting on a bench, and the look on his face was like, "Man, I'm out of here." But you know, I don't want to read too much in across the court. I don't know Matt Ryan that well, other than he's he's not a real fun interview. Uh, you know, when he's when, when he's, he's not he's not, he's not fun when he's not playing, and he's not fun when he is playing because he's mad that you're talking to him now only because he is About playing. Not playing. Yeah, right. So. Uh, does he come back? Um, I think it's going to take some convincing on the Notre Dame coaching staff's part. The one thing that I flipped in the last month, because he is engaged defensively and, and his size shows up once in a while rebounding, is he's a junior now and Bray relies on those upperclassmen. He probably will be leaving Ryan into a fault at some point next well, year. Well, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> so, he now ascends to the level yeah. that Beecham did because he's an upperclassman. But he doesn't have he doesn't have the money in the bank because he hasn't been committed to the the team cause and the defensive end and the rebounding and stuff. He's just basically come in and hunt his shot. At some point in the Louisville game next year, Pete's going to lean over and say, why aren't they playing Harvey over Ryan? And we're going to be coming back to this moment. <laughs> well, that's that's why it's interesting because, you, I mean, you look at a Harvey, you look at a Jogo, you look at a Ryan, you look at what Farrell can do off the dribble, you look at Colson's ability to pop on hitch. I mean, they're going to have guys that can shoot next year. And Colson deserves... What a effort for him to pull them up with a, still a bad ankle against Princeton, and he just he was shooting them. He was the only guy to hit a shot. Yeah, <laughs> ten for fifteen against that defense when no one else can score around you. Mm-hmm. That was really a great effort by him. Yeah, I mean he was he was outstanding. He's so he's really fun to watch. I mean it's it's too bad that that's that's a that's a wrap. I mean you get. I guess there's the sense of the question is is Matt Ryan back? Bonzi Colson, there's not much of a question there, is there? Uh, I mean, there isn't. We asked him after the game, and I think he's just playing the you know the game that all football and basketball players do yeah. in that situation where you don't you don't want to paint yourself in the corner. So you say, look, I haven't even thought about it yet. But 
certainly all indications up to this point, uh, both from Bray via Bonzi Sr., um, more so those two guys and Bonzi himself, it, it it would appear that he's going to come back. And, and He'll do the Beecham, though, right? And put his name in, right? Uh, and try it out well, and everything. I, probably, you know, now that it has evolved to this point, but as of, like, you know, late January, that was kind of dismissed. Like, no, we don't need to do that. We're going to come back for, for the, the fourth year. I heard a really interesting, <laughs> uh, I got a private message on Twitter from another Dame fan, and he asked me a question. Bonzi Colson's great. Have you ever seen him use his left hand once? And then against Princeton, he had a chance at a left-handed layup, and he completely stopped and awkwardly lost the ball with his right hand. And I thought to myself, I have never seen him use his left hand once. So I can tell you what he will be told when he goes to an NBA camp that he cannot use if his left cannot, hand at all. Yeah, he literally had the ball on the break. You know, it was a it was a one on one break, and he had no chance of laying the ball in on the left side of the basket. He stopped and did it up and under, and even the announcers were like, why didn't he do it up and under? And I thought to myself, I just got a message about this. It was a really good point. Well, that is is a great point. You obviously have to to play on the next level. You're going to have to be able to do that. But as great as Colson is, I get frustrated sometimes when instead of just Instead of just turning the corner, you know, on a guy and and using your wingspan and beating him that way, he wants to, you know, reverse dribble and spin dribble. And I don't think he needs to do that all the time. So I guess I expect him to average 22 points and 13 (laughs) rebounds per game. So so you're saying he underachieved. Yeah, you know, I think there's, I think the ceiling's higher for Ponzi Colson. I really do. It's not the roof. Uh, Before we get out of this segment, tournament at large, the ACC just flopped this <laughs> yeah. weekend. There's no really way around it. Do you know Duke lost? That's a shame. Yeah, yeah. The only person, <laughs> the only person was a bigger loser than Priester not going to California was Mike Krzyzewski. <laughs> um, but yeah, any tournament where Duke goes in, out in the same round as Middle Tennessee State and Rhode Island is fine by me. But does it change the perception of the league to you guys? Well, it, it will because everybody's going yeah. to say that they were overrated. That's yeah. uh, you know one plus one equals two. What if um, North Carolina wins it? They overrated. I don't. You know, I, I don't. Well, first of all, I don't think they will. I don't but I, you know, I don't know. That would change the narrative a little bit too, I guess. But I, yeah, you know, I hate to to follow the knee jerk reaction and okay, they were overrated. I, I think does this not say something about? how those teams beat the daylights out of each other all season. And maybe on the back end of it, there's some teams that are tired. I don't think that that's the reason, you know, per se either, but I think it's a little bit too easy just to say, Oh, well, the ACC was overrated. You're going to, you're going to throw away two months of a body of work for a couple of days. And I'm not sure that that's fair either. Yeah, I don't think North Carolina's going to win it, though, either. I just threw that out there. Because, no. you know, we're in the Sweet 16, there's one ACC team, but if you're in the Final Four and there's one ACC, one Big Ten, one Pac-12, and one Big 12, right. does that mean everybody's the exact same? Yeah. It, yeah. At some point, I don't know, I guess the Sweet 16 is kind of the measuring stick for leagues because that's a reasonable goal yeah. for anybody to get You've to. you played other right. leagues. I, I do think I was kind of making the joke about bowl games where people say, well, the, well, the ACC's overrated, the Big Ten's overrated because of how bowl games go, or the SEC happens to lose bowl mm-hmm. games. Unlike the NCAA tournament, half the teams don't care in the bowl games, so you're yeah. not looking at any of that. This is obviously it's weird that they're all it's weird that they're all out other than North Carolina. There's not a one month gap between games. Yeah, yeah. you know, if I looked at my I, my I don't have a good bracket, but uh, if looking at it, I think I only would have had North Carolina, and I didn't have Florida State. Oh, at Duke, I had North Carolina and Duke in the Sweet Sixteen for sure. I thought I would have Notre Dame if it wasn't West Virginia. 
I didn't have Florida State or yeah, Virginia. Yeah, Florida or State Miami. being out is yeah. not a surprise. Yeah. Virginia being out, although losing by 25 and scoring 39, is a little bit of a surprise. A in Louisville's. The world. Oh, that's Louisville yeah. is yeah. a surprise because Patino always gets gets there, but they run into a Michigan team that absolutely nobody wants any part of at this moment. Yeah, that that's a uh, that was also uh, my only good pick was Michigan over Louisville. Not that that matters, but yeah, I think that maybe we just talk only about the ACC. <laughs> So that's that's why we're surprised. Well, by it. there's true. You know, to that. There is, you know what? A, a, actually, Bob Huggins made a, a a plea for how good the Big Twelve was because he was asked whether he missed the Big East or not, and he said he misses the Garden, he misses New York. But he said, you know, at the bottom of the Big East, I would look down. He said I'd look down at the bench and say, I can I can beat him today. I can make decisions that will allow us to win today. But in the Big Twelve. He says, I look down there, and that's not necessarily the case. And I think there's some truth to that, because if you look at the depth of the Big 12, it's pretty good, and on you know it's one of those on any given day, I think. Um, you know, that's a that's a pretty good conference, too. Yeah, I mean, they get three through Baylor, West Virginia, and Kansas. Right. I mean, if anybody watched Kansas, I mean, if you're just basing it, okay, who, was the, who looked the best this weekend, you would be, everyone would be writing Kansas in, Probably similarly to how we all wrote Duke in uh, yeah. a week ago because they looked so good in the ACC tournament. But I think it. I think if if you're just looking at the league overall, I think the tournament, you know, maybe was more physical than you know than the ACC league is, uh, where it's more up and down. I think more free flowing. Uh, but other than that, I, like if you rated the ACC as the best league of all time, and this is like you, the, the Big East, like as Notre Dame was about to go out of it, and you looked right. at that league, you're like, holy crap, what a great league. If you thought it was that good, then it was definitely overrated. Who would have uh, thought there were three SEC teams in the Sweet 16 and one ACC team? Yeah, uh, no one. Right, and <laughs> South Carolina, who was playing very, very poorly at the end of the regular season in the, the conference. I didn't know they were in the tournament. Literally, right? I literally did not but, know until I saw. But that. you saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You saw them play. Oh, now I know they're in the tournament. Yeah. <laughs> that was impressive. Yeah. Uh, Frank Martin is a taskmaster. He gets the most out of them. Yeah, <laughs> seems like a real hoot to play. Oh boy! <laughs> All right, well that's it for segment one on Irish Illustrated and Cyber. Another great weekend of uh, first and second round, the best four days of the sporting calendar. So we'll get into spring practice next on segment two, Irish Illustrated and Cyber. Segment two on Irish Illustrated Insider. Questions from our readers burning up the board, starting with Statman72. TJ Gibbs' performance fell off late in the basketball season. Is the coaching staff as high on him now as they were at the beginning of the season? Yeah, they love him. His performance did fall off. He was he he was actually a in the plus minus, he was one of the few. He and Matt Ryan were the only plus guys against West Virginia, which happens when you trail for 39 yeah. minutes a game. But uh he was in the negative against Louisville, Duke, Virginia, Princeton. He did not have a great ending after having a very good regular season. But, no, I mean, Bray loves him. Um, I think there's no reason for Bray to publicly acknowledge how much TJ Gibbs has to work on his ball handling because that's unacceptable from a guard of a guard of any type against the pressure like that. And it wasn't just West Virginia. We In the Louisville preview, we wrote, Notre Dame, this isn't why they lost, but Notre Dame could lose to Louisville because of the pressure they put on Notre Dame's guards. Right. And only Matt Farrell could get the ball up the court against them. Uh, he was stripped, bring the ball up the court, Three times one on one this season. I mean that that's not something that could happen with the point guard, and obviously he was shaky against West Virginia, but they love him. He's strong. 
He's a great competitor. It was a very unfortunate technical foul that really yeah, stymied that the happens. momentum. I think his strength helps him defensively, yeah. and he was a good free throw shooter this year. But And this is something that you and I talked about throughout the home schedule sitting at those games. I mean, he really needs to change his body. He needs to lose some weight. Yeah. He needs to he needs to be a finely conditioned basketball player, which he's not, because he he has very he has great difficulty finishing around the rim. He's a below the rim player. I like uh, how he gets to the rim though. He's, he he, he it, puts his head down yeah. and goes hard, but he's a real short stepper going to the bucket. It, he's he's an unusual athlete player right now because I think. He really, really needs to make a lot of improvements between now and next year. It was interesting. Uh, it was on WSBT and Martin Inglesby was on, and he went straight on the Gibbs conditioning aspect. Really? Like, yeah. I mean, that was it was unprompted, and he said, "Look, he needs to reshape his yeah, body. I agree with really that. get in better shape moving forward. And if he does, then you know, get some muscle definition, and he's going to have to be of." Eventually, as all point guards are at Notre Dame, you have to be able to play 36 minutes a game. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he so has a long to, way from he that. has to be, be begin the process of becoming a point guard, which he is not right now. I mean, can you imagine if yeah. Matt Farrell was gone and he had to be the point guard? They'd be in a lot of trouble. I think they'll recruit a point guard. They have to. It could be I, a good off guard. No, I think yeah. they have to. Uh, you know, but he has to begin the process of becoming a point guard next season. Handle the ball uh, when he is playing with Farrell, so Farrell can get his shots, and also when Farrell needs a break. Yeah. Although Farrell's going to be playing 36, 37. I minutes. don't want to overanalyze Gibbs against West Virginia because that's the hardest defense he's ever played against in his life. But even on the, they cut it to seven near the end of the half, and West Virginia missed, and there was seven second run out for Notre Dame, and you had Gibbs dribbling the ball kind of frantically up the right side. He had Beecham in the corner, and Beecham cut, and probably should have stayed out there to shoot and. Two to three to end the end of the half, mm-hmm. but Gibbs looked out of control the whole drive, and then took the ball. As I said, Matt Farrell's amazing on fast breaks. Gibbs looked like a guy that doesn't know how to run one, and he and Beecham ended up next to each other. It might have yeah. been Beecham's fault for go, for cutting. He probably should have stayed out, but Gibbs didn't look like a point guard. He looked like he dribbled until someone got in his way, and then he had to stop and he just fired a pass that you didn't notice Beecham was next yeah. to him. You know, it's the awareness isn't quite there. Last thing I say about Gibbs, he's a, he's a. He's committed to the cause. Yes, he's hardworking. Yeah. It's important to him. Uh, if he puts in the work during the offseason, I think he's, I think you'll see a much better player next year. Lewis two three four predict who will lead Notre Dame in sacks this season. <laughs> that is oh, that's a great you question. know it is a great question because I mean we could sit here and name a bunch of guys and give a couple reasons as to why so and so is going to do it, but we really have no basis for coming up with. I mean, you could say Dalen Hayes because he probably has the most. You know the most gifts as a as a pass rusher, but we haven't seen it. You could say Andrew Trombetti because he's been on the field a lot and has a lot of experience, but we've never really seen him do it. Uh, you know, I mean, I think a guy like Drew Tranquil playing Rover off the edge has as much of a chance of leading him in in sacks as any other guy that we name right now. I'll say Niles Morgan again. Niles Morgan is, an, is another guy. He's he'll, good he'll at get, it. He's good at right, it. and yeah. he'll get opportunities in the Elko defense to do it. But we're we're shooting in the dark here, uh, you know, right now because they don't have a lot of natural pass rushers, and we don't know how everybody's going to fit in the uncle scheme yet. And hopefully, I'm wrong. That's Niles Morgan because that would be five and a half, six X at the highest, yeah. high, at the apex, yeah. and you want someone else to come off the edge. And Morgan could be another guy that helps. Who's, who's it going to be, Pete? Is uh, it going to be Jerry if, Tillery? If you could give me <laughs> from the inside, if, if you could give me good odds on Asmer Bilal, I might take it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, Dalen Hayes would Dalen Hayes would be your favorite. He's the one everybody wants to. Niles Morgan would be sort of the two seed in this bracket. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, there just aren't a lot of options. I don't know, Jonathan Bonner, I guess. I'm not I, think, I don't really know. I think Tillery had I think we've said this before. Tillery has a chance because of his length coming from the inside and based upon the scheme and an offensive line having to account for everybody. Not because he's the best pass rusher, but he has a chance to pop free as an offensive line has to tend to, you know, the extra the extra bodies coming from the outside. But I, it's. What? I hope it's Dale. You want to say Trombetti, don't you? No, I don't. I I'm not allowed. Yeah. I can't say that. I'm not allowed to talk <laughs> about right, let, uh, Sort of a addendum to this question: Will Notre Dame's leader in sacks have more than six? Uh, yes, because. Elko will create a volume of sacks that will allow somebody to have more than six, but I don't think it's going to be more than like seven or eight. <laughs> that's, that's more than six. Though. I'll go that's six. Seven? Forget it. <laughs> Lou for Prez. What teams will Notre Dame be preseason underdogs? I want you to, to answer this first because I know where you're going to go with this. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm going on the road? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, so this is the fun question because this always comes out in late. Mid-June, they uh, mm-hmm. do the goldennugget.com, does something where they throw out the uh, preseason point spreads. And remember a couple years ago, Notre Dame was a 24-point underdog to defending champion Florida State. Ended up wow. being nothing like that, of course. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I would say, um, for sure, USC, even as a home underdog, it'll be, it'll be slight. They'll be an underdog at Stanford, for sure, uh, like seven points. Uh, I'll bet they're a smiled underdog at North Carolina, because it's, it's on the road in the ACC in a hurricane. I'm just throwing know. that part up. I don't know. I feel North like Carolina games, lost a lot, but, yeah, I mean, but I we'll like see. Well, no, I'm going to go one step further. I think they'll be a one-point underdog when it comes out to Michigan State, which is the worst team their name has seen last year that killed them. But uh, And I, I don't know if they will be. I th- at Miami? You're oh, at Miami, I did forget about that yeah. one. Yeah, at Miami, I think it'll be a mild underdog. I guess they'll be a mild underdog to Georgia at home. You think? Maybe just one? I mean, plus one, maybe? I don't, I don't maybe, know. Yeah, I, well, it, you know, they'll be, I think they'll be an underdog in every true road game. Except for Boston College. Except for Boston, Except for Boston College, College. Yes. So four true road games in USC is what I'll go the, with. Those are the ones that I wrote down, Georgia. I think it's hard to predict. Yeah. You know, well, it'll be much clearer, obviously, after week one. But that doesn't count, because that will change it. Oh, I see yeah, what you're saying. He's, he's oh, the saying June. Okay. He wants to yes. know, because we're so far away from yeah. when, 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 you know, kind of looking yeah. at that. Uh, yeah, know, not that on game seven. day. These will change I, on game day. I definitely agree with your five. Those four road games, excluding at BC and then USC at home. Yeah, I'd say five. I don't know. I think Georgia, between Georgia and Michigan State, something around one there. of them. Yeah. Uh, and then, but the other ones, I think for sure, the Stanfords and USC's, are, I think, are obvious. And Miami, unless they totally face planted. Because um, it's preseason. Although, it's, it's preseason, so you don't have time yeah. to face plant. No, you don't have time to mess up. <laughs> yeah, they might not be an underdog to Miami when they play them. Yeah. But I think in June, in right, would, it's logical right, to right, do it right. that way. Question from Oregon Irish With depth at quarterback being an issue, do you guys think Notre Dame will call less? Option runs to protect Brandon Wimbush. I do not. I because they have to win a lot of games. Yeah, that's what um, I think. <laughs> like there's a they might they, call more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if that's something that is really good, uh, if that's a great strategic move for them, if they can have success doing that, they're going to call a lot of option runs. Unless Brandon you want to say they could protect Brandon Wimbush on option runs uh, against Wake Forest at home. And things like that, where you can win the game without it. Like, you protect them over the course of 12 games, and not over a game where you need to win it. You get ahead of Temple by two touchdowns, do you need to keep getting him hit? 
when you have Georgia coming up the next week. Right. You might have to run 24 times against Georgia if that's what happens, right? Well, I mean, yeah, and, I, and, many, and I don't think that you... We don't know exactly what Brandon Wimbush is going to provide in the passing game this year. I mean, we love the way he throws. We love his athleticism, that free and easy throwing motion. He's got some guys, you know, Equinemius St. Brown. But you just don't know how he's going to read coverages uh, and and handle things on the fly. So that takes you back to your bread and butter. You have a great athlete with a fairly veteran offensive line now and a couple good running backs. Um, you know, I think he's going to run as much as he has to run. And protect him later, right? Limit it, limit it when you're when you're winning. Yeah, like you're, the, the, what, the point you're yeah. saying is you 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 pick and choose spots right. where you can protect him a little bit. But like Pete said. You got to win a lot of games. Yeah, that's uh, that's job one. SR fifty four fifty two. What should the realistic expectations be for Chip Long's first year in terms of productivity? How well do you guys think his offense will stack up to last year's offense? I think it's going to be a lot faster, uh, and that's going <laughs> to be make tale of the tape, film reviews, statistical ed. It's going to make it just a lot more work for everybody. <laughs> Which they, is all that matters. Right? Yeah, that's three the of us handle our Mondays. Job one. But I, look, Memphis was 31st in plays run last year. Notre Dame was 112. Look, Notre Dame played 12 games. Memphis played 13. So that is up a little bit. But just in terms of average of plays per game, I, you're basically going to squeeze an extra possession out of every game, which is real significant. Um, in terms of yards per play, they were 33rd <laughs> last year. Notre Dame was below that, but. You know, not massively below that. So it's I. I think it's just, it's going to be an offense that's going to be all over the place. It's going to be going really fast. Maybe they'll make some big mistakes, but I think they're going to hit a lot of home runs too. I think. Look, Brandon Wimbush. I I like the idea of him playing in more of a up tempo, just chuck it around, call it and haul it is something Brian Kelly has said, but never really done. Um, I, I think this is the time to do it. And uh, it goes back, There's uh, we had so many questions about the offense and Chip Long and what's going to be different. The fact that Chip Long's going to be calling from Chip Long's playbook, that's yeah. that's, that's the big difference. I think the, I, what you just said about the pace, I think that plays, that's much better for Brandon Wimbush. I think that's a good thing. I'm really optimistic about Chip Long. Um, I think he's a cutting edge kind of young guy in the, in the, uh, in the country right now, somebody that uh, can really maximize what they have. And it's a fairly veteran uh, group coming back. Your offensive line, you know, the only place where you're not real experienced is at quarterback. And I think Chip Long is going to do a really good job. And Notre Dame will average 33 points per game, which would crack the 30 mark for the fourth straight year. I like that uh, the wide receivers kind of get a reboot for a start, too, with a new look. Wide receiver tight end combinations. Where's Alizé Jones? Where's Chase Claypool? You're not stuck with, other than Equinemius St. Brown, who you could get a reboot all you want. He's going to win the job anyway. Right. Uh, I, I like that. I think that's the position that can look a lot different. Um, it doesn't. It, I'm not sure it's going to look anything like the USC game did, other than Equinemius St. Brown out there. When you're looking at guys coming in and out oh, at tight end, wide receiver yeah. slot, everything. So that that's kind of what I'm most excited about and what I'll be looking for Saturday because you know our first open practice Saturday mm-hmm. will define the whole season anyway. That's all that matters. <laughs> J-Law J- won from the radio show. Pete talked about staleness with the last strength and conditioning staff. My question is, there's a big difference between tuning out a staff and making actual decisions not to work out. When did that happen, and why didn't the coaching staff do something about it? I get that BK may have given them too much flexibility, but to let accountability lapse is a big problem. Uh, I mean, 
I hope the implication isn't here that they weren't working out at all, because um, I don't think that's right. But I do find it interesting. Um, over the weekend, I had a source contact me and just say, "Hey, just a heads up, Matt Bayless called, you know, a player or two on spring break just to be like, how are the workouts going?" Uh, and I so it's like, so are you saying that never happened before? And he's like, "That's exactly what I'm saying. That never happened before." So I do think there is a. Uh, extreme accountability that Matt Bayless is going to demand until the players show that they've are with it. And even then I think he'll just keep demanding it and maybe ratchet it up even more. So that I, that I think there's a removal of Notre Dame from the roster, at least a removal of them from the comfort zone in the weight room now. And I think that's going to be good for everybody. I think mentally and physically uh, they're going to make, big jumps because of that because they're just sort of on guard they don't know what's coming next uh and they had i believe sort of a sort of a i don't know if it's a conditioning test or just sort of a check-in last night and i would think the coming back from spring break that could have been kind of ugly um you know they spring practice the next one is on wednesday but i i'll be curious to see how much they're sort of back up and running immediately because Matt Bayless worked him over pretty good on a Sunday night. The, the the question in here was, why didn't the coaching staff do something about it? And because it was one of the most horrific coaching jobs in the country last year. I mean, from top to bottom, it was awful. From January right? to January. So now, as we've come to find out, even in, in the strength and conditioning department, that's why there were assistant coaching changes I, I don't understand why Brian Kelly was in that space that he was in yeah, in year seven of his tenure at Notre Dame. Uh, but that's why they were four and eight, because the coaching staff did a lousy job, including in this area. Yeah, no question. All right, our last question is a bit recruiting-oriented. CPU 15, is P.J. Mustafer at the top of the defensive tackle board? What is the recruiting target at defensive line, given the amount of upperclassmen with limited talent slash playing experience? Why don't you go ahead and follow up your question? Yeah, I mean, he would certainly be at the top, if not the clear number one. Um, I would expect him to get back on campus sometime this spring, um, if not just to see his brother at the spring game. Um, you know, he's... He's a guy that I'm really high on. I uh, wrote about him in the Insider Report a couple weeks back. Just He's a combination defensive tackle wrestler, was a state champion, um, goes to a high-end private school, uh, McDonough School in, I think, Owings Mill, Maryland, but um, loves wrestling. Uh, it's a big factor in his conditioning, his competitiveness. Basically, he's he's bigger than Sam, Um He's basically everything you'd want in a defensive tackle. He's huge, in great shape, plays both ways, and is a multi-sport athlete. So, yeah, he would be number one. Uh, my boy. I think he's much fitter and much more athletic than a lot of the guys Notre Dame has on the roster right now at that position. We have eight guys on the 2018 chart going forward um, set at defensive tackle for next year. Pete's chart. Um, there's not a lot of names that impress you yet. So a lot of this is going to change, obviously, with the right. football season. Darnell Ewell will know a lot more about. Kurt Hinnish will be, a, we assume, a redshirt freshman. Tago Vailoa-Mosa might be a redshirt freshman. We might have to play, depending on what some mm-hmm. of the juniors uh, do. But, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a lot of bodies right now, and it's just like Ewell. There's an opportunity for rotation time immediately in 2018 for someone of Mustafer's caliber, I would say. 
Yeah, there's there's no question about that. I, I, Mustafer would fit into the. You would take him even if you had 15 defensive yeah. tackles because he's good enough to warrant taking. Um, you know, and they, and they don't they don't get enough guys like that. But I think he would he would fit in that in that mold. And if you can get him paired with Jason Adamalola, who I think is also really good mm-hmm. as an interior defensive lineman, that would. Look, I mean, that would be as good a combo of defensive tackles as you've signed yeah. in, in a long time here. They need that. That's a good starting point. We'll, um, we'll have access to practice on Wednesday. Notre Dame finally returns to the football field for their third practice of the spring. We'll be there early uh, on Wednesday morning, and then we'll have the full viewing of Saturday's practice along with access to Brian Kelly. So we are getting back at it in spring football. I'm off the basketball beat. Much to my chagrin, I didn't really want to go to San Jose anyway. But uh, And we will come back on Thursday uh, for another podcast, having uh, had an opportunity to see a little bit of practice on Wednesday. So for Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley, I'm Tim Priester, and this has been Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Yeah.